We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, what is going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to Talking Buffalo Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network. I'm your host, Patrick Moran. You can find me on Twitter, at Pat Moran Tweets. Thank you very much for locking in today. Not Monday, so it's not a Victory Monday episode. It's Tuesday, so I'm going to call this Talk About It Tuesday. And to do that, I got co-hosts of the Cover One Buffalo Podcast, recurring guests here, good buddy of mine, Aaron Quinn. What's going on, buddy? What's, up? What's happening? What's happening, my man? I think Joe Yurden uh, has taken my lead in episodes of the of your podcast, but I still got to be in a solid second place here. You uh, are. Time. And, and in fairness to you, I, Joe, I don't even consider Joe a, a guest anymore. He does casual Fridays with me every single Friday. He's so. a, pretty much a co-host. Then. Yeah, at this and point, I mean, it's kind of like with you and Greg doing Cover One Buffalo to me. Right. And when it comes to Friday, at least anyway, Joe's just my co-host. He's not even a guest. So you're so comfortably out in front with that for good reason, too, man. I really, we talked about this before. I really like having you on. Obviously, Buffalo Bills talk, which we're going to, uh, we're going to talk plenty of Bills today because there's plenty to talk about. But you and I have a lot of stuff in common when it comes to music and pop culture and just things that we like. So I always kind of had that connect. Well, not always because we didn't like each other way back in the day. Well, not completely true. Yeah. I liked you. I, I'm abrasive. So I come off. Right. That's rough what to I people. Say. We were far more abrasive without context to each other back in the day uh, than we are now. But yeah, man, R&B music. We share a lot of love for, for stuff like that. A lot of television shows, Bad things lights. like that. Yeah, and you also disagree with me a lot, but again, we do it in a very civil way, and I've always respected that about you, man, but uh, how's it going? How's cover one going? You know what else I, I respect about you that I think I have in myself? A, a person commented on Twitter today about uh, being willing to take our, our L's, and I think we'll get oh. to some of that here on the yeah. pod here tonight, but I, I think a lot of content creators out there take it so seriously and so personally that they put out these hot takes and then when they are proven wrong, they kind of duck from them where right. I've always been, dude, if I'm going to say something, I'm going to argue with you for, for an hour on Twitter about it. When the L comes around, I'll happily take that medicine and move Absolutely. On. And look, I take, take, I take my takes seriously. I, sure. I, I say what I mean. Um, I don't do it strictly for effect, although sometimes they end up having those effects, but yeah, Absolutely. If you're going to have takes on, on Twitter or on Facebook or wherever it may be, or just with your boys when you're talking, you better be ready to to eat those L's without uh, 
you know, without excuses. And Especially if you're going to take the victory laps when you're right. Yeah. If you're going to take victory laps when you're right, you got it comes with taking some L's. I was praying on Sunday that Dawson Knox would score a second touchdown because my only pregame prediction, I think it was on Friday or Saturday, I even had this clever gift, was that Dawson Knox was going to score two touchdowns. And when he scored the first one, I quote tweeted myself and said, there's one. And I was ready to call myself a prophet, hoping he would take one. But yeah, if, you, if you're going to take victory laps, like you said, just eat the L's. And I do have a couple that I'm going to get to uh, as we go on throughout this podcast. But before that, let's start here, okay? So going into Sunday's game, and we're not going to like completely recap the game because by the time people are are listening to this, A, it's Tuesday morning, kind of moved on from there. Also, B, if you're a real Bills fan, if you're a big-time Bills fan, between you guys that cover one, between Rumblings, between WGR and Perino and Talbot, you've heard the game recap probably ad nauseum at this point. So we're not going to really so much do that, but I do got a series of questions based on the game or, or players about the game that I want to discuss with you and and talk about. One of them is pressure. All right. Now I'm not going to say that this game was like do or die. Like the season's over. If the bills went out and lost after losing at home to Pittsburgh in week one, but I think there was the, we really can't afford to fall to Owen two pressure. Not necessarily the season's over, but we can't afford to lose this game. We can't go to 0-2 type of pressure. I saw a stat going into the game from last year. I think it was on Fox during the pregame. No team that went 0-2 last year ended up making the playoffs. So that's not nothing. You know what I'm saying? You're a little more level-headed, whereas I'm a a big-time like knee-jerk reactor. (laughs) We talked about this on the show before, too. But this was an important game, right? I mean, this wasn't just another game. This wasn't just another even divisional game. This game... Was it was very important for the Bills to get back on track, right? Yeah, it was important for a number of reasons. I think the statistically, like you said, uh, just last year, no zero and two teams made it to the playoffs. I think statistically, over I don't know what period of time. I think it's like fifteen years of the last fifteen years. It's eleven percent of teams that start zero and two. That's not a good. St- you don't want to be on that side of the statistics. Back when you're one and one, you get back to forty nine percent. That's a much happier statistic to be sure. in here at week two that you're about a 50% chance to make the playoffs. Those statistics are real. And not that the Bills couldn't overcome an 0-2 and an 0-2 start. They have a pretty friendly schedule at points throughout the season. I think they could have overcome some of that. But dropping two AFC games when this is a team that has not just playoff aspirations, right? We're not trying to back our way into the wild card spot like two, three years ago. This is a team that has legitimate Super Bowl aspirations. You can't drop two AFC games back-to-back to to start the year. You put yourself way behind the eight ball when teams like, obviously, Kansas City lost, but teams like, uh, and they lost to an AFC team, but those teams are the ones you're competing with for home field advantage. Uh, And whether or not you get the one seed, you still want home field advantage in that two seed. You don't want to fall behind in the AFC. You don't want to go down to tiebreakers at the end of the year with some of these teams. And so I think teams like Miami and New England, while I don't think they're on the tier that the Bills are, you also don't want to drop games to these teams because they might only be a game, game and a half back when we get towards the end of the season. I think they will still win a number of games and be annoyingly sort of on the heels of the Bills where if you slip up a few games in this season and you lost a game to them, then you start getting into the mathematics of you know who's going to win the division based on tiebreakers and stuff. The Bills don't want anything to do with that noise. Outside all those statistics and reasons why, I think, just internally and confidence-wise, to drop that game week one in the fashion 
that they did uh and the all the media talk about are the bills for real is this a you know is this a paper tiger team can they sustain winning to come out and then dominate a division rival on their home turf with a shutout which is super rare and get a big win like this i think that you saw that the pressure was real at one Bills drive this week. The way that they came out and stuck it to the Miami Dolphins showed that the pressure was real internally, and they responded to it. Yeah, I'll say this. Nationally speaking, like watching the shows and, and reading some of the national work over the past week, I don't think the, the national media buried the Bills too much for their opening week loss. It was more about, hey, Pittsburgh's a, a pretty good football team. But had they lost, like for my own personal sanity— yeah. 0-2, that's all you're going to hear about on ESPN. Are the Bills overrated? Are they, you know, are they, uh, yeah, are they overrated? And, and they responded emphatically with, no, no, they're not. You just said it. I mean, they go on the road. They shut out an opponent. First time, I think, since 26, it was 2016 when they shut out New England. It was without Brady that game. Ironically, Jacoby Brissett was the quarterback for that game as right. well. Uh, you know, l- let's say this. Before we talk about any players, so last week when the Bills lost to Pittsburgh, I made sure before I even discussed any players or parts of that game, I wanted to take time and give the Pittsburgh Steelers a lot of credit because I thought they played a very good football game, a very physical football game. I thought the defensive line was just physically better than the Bills on that day. I thought the secondary did an unbelievably good job of coming up and making tackles. They weren't missing open field stuff. So I, I took time and gave Pittsburgh a lot of credit. I kind of want to go the opposite way. The Bills are going to get a lot of credit and we're going to talk about a lot of the players that played very well and stuff like that. But before that, look, one game, like we shouldn't bury the Bills because they lost to Pittsburgh. And I don't want to bury Miami because they just lost the game to Buffalo. But that looked like a football team that's just not really good, man. I don't know. Maybe it's just one of those nightmare matchups. Like in boxing, sometimes you just, you don't match up with somebody. And that's why you do everything you can to avoid getting in the ring with that guy because he's just not a good matchup for you. I don't know what it is exactly. But this Miami Dolphins football team that we saw on Sunday, so let's talk about them first. I don't I don't know how ready they were to begin with, so to call them overrated, I don't know because I don't know how many people really consider them legitimate AFC contenders to begin with. But that football team looked really shitty, bro. I mean, that, that was not impressive at all. That offensive line was terrible. They look like a team to me who's got two really good cornerbacks and pretty much nothing else, man. At least on Sunday, that's what it looked like to me. Yeah, I think they've got some pieces. I think they do um, in terms of in comparison to other teams league-wide. I think they're uh, a team that will probably be in the hunt. You know, Bills fans know that term all too well, being in the sure. hunt. I do. I think they're probably right around a drought-era Bills team that's going to be a 500 football team. They have enough pieces to win a few games, probably are going to drop games like this to the better teams. I think the Bills are more in that echelon of what the Patriots were during the droughts where they're a good team. And if they're playing the team, that's not up to their a game, they're going to stick it to you in a fashion like this. And so I, I think they're good enough to be a playoff contending team. I think they're good enough to possibly be annoying. Like I said, if the bills slip up a, a few games here throughout the season, I think they could be a, let's see, it's a 17 game season. I think they could be like a right around a nine win team here uh for the year but yeah i watched that uh week one miami versus new england you can't make a lot out of week one either way i've been saying that even with the bills loss but that game did not look like either team was a team that is a big threat to the buffalo bills it looked like a sloppy game nobody wanted to win it necessarily uh both teams had 
pretty substantial flaws throughout units on their team. And so neither one of those teams particularly scared me uh, in that matchup. And then Miami confirmed a lot of what I saw about them in that first game. And, you know, we'll talk about that too, because I think right now on Twitter, it's fun. Uh, Victory Monday is fun on Twitter. Bill's fans, the, the memes are fantastic. The gifts are fantastic. Like everybody's having a good time. Uh, we're, we're hyping ourselves up again uh, after that week one defeat. And that's fine. I don't want to, you know, take any of the air out of anyone's balloons, but, I don't know that this defense is going to have the type of performances pressure-wise against every single offensive line. I tweeted out, Miami's offensive line is a below-average group across the sure. board. And we, when we go through these teams, Pat, on Wednesdays and uh, look on, at the opponents matched up, usually you'll see one or two guys. And I talk about this with the Bills offensive line a lot. Like I've been real hard on John Feliciano, and I say, hey, well, there's no perfect offensive line across the league, and if that's our weak link, that's fine. They have a they, their whole starting offensive line is basically John Feliciano level players, below average NFL starters across the line, and the Bills made them look like that, and that's good for them. I'm not taking anything away from the Bills, but I don't expect it to look like that every single week. They're going to face some lines that have better than below average uh, guys across the line. I think for Miami, it really starts there. I think Chris Greer's done a huge disservice by just filling up on skill position players, which they have in spades on both sides of the ball but you got to win in the trenches in this league and they don't have it in the trenches. And I think that's where it showed up the most on Sunday was one team has invested quite a bit into the trenches and the other one hasn't. And, and the bills dominated them there. Well, <laughs> name me a Buffalo bills defender. And I will name you somebody who had a really good game on Sunday. Yeah. You no, know I mean, it was across the board. It wasn't like, like you said, it wasn't one week leak. It wasn't the left tackle. It wasn't the right tackle or the guards. Again, na- literally, name me a Bills defender, especially in the front seven. And I'll Tremaine name Evans. you somebody. I'll name, well, except for maybe him. <laughs> <laughs> maybe him. I'm trying to avoid the Tremaine Edmonds thing because I actually had that in my notes. It's one of the few. He had some good stuff, wanna... too. He had some good stuff, too. But yeah, he wasn't. What? He got that game ball, but he wasn't. He didn't. Yeah, he he wasn't getting no game ball. But it, all right, maybe, maybe Tremaine aside, name me somebody in the front seven. And I'll name you somebody who like was dominating whoever was trying to block them. Was this one of the best Bills defensive games that you can remember in quite a while? It was for me, because, I mean, you look at the numbers, six sacks, two takeaways. Well, they had a third, but it was on special teams. So two or six sacks, two takeaways. They only allowed 216 total yards to Miami. Just And Jacoby were set under siege pretty much all day. Two it was, and then ultimately got knocked out of the game by A.J. Vanessa. We'll talk about it in a little bit. I don't know, man. Maybe it's because I'm getting old and, and, I, and I can't remember as well as I used to. I can't remember a lot of games where the Bills defense just dominated like this, which, by the way, I, I want to say this too. As an older Bills fan, I don't just treat Miami as just another game, man. I, I, like, I was a little bit still even now too young to remember the 70s when Miami went like literally an entire decade. decade. 20 straight games. For you younger Bills fans out there who didn't, might not know this, Miami once beat the Bills 20 straight times. 10 straight years, literally a decade. The Bills lost a full decade worth of games. To I mean, the younger so, fans should know how that feels with the Pats. So think of what the Pats did to sure. the Bills for a 20-year run. Right, right. So I always get a little, just a little bit more satisfaction when the Bills beat Miami, regardless yeah. of what kind of season the Bills are having or where they are in the standings. It's just always a little bit better to beat Miami. But anyway, I don't want to get out too off point here. Is this one of the better defensive games you can remember? Because I don't remember a lot of games where they were this good on defense. Yeah, I mean... 
it's a shutout, right? So, and those are super rare in the NFL. The NFL is designed for scoring. The rules favor offense. It's a, it's a league that's designed to have high scoring games that people are, are paying attention to. So to have a shutout on the uh, div- division rival too, those division games are always wacky. They talk about that every year. These guys face each other twice a year. There's nothing you really don't know about each other. So I think that's another level of context to it. And then uh, obviously away on the road in their home. So th- th- all those things combined make it clearly one of the tops. I think the only other one I would put up there just in terms of context would be the Ravens playoff game, just because I think the Ravens offense is a much more potent offense with more difficult assignments uh, and the way that they were able to sort of neuter Lamar Jackson in that playoff game. And then the defense essentially won that playoff game for the Bills. And because it was a playoff game, I think, stakes are higher. I think the stakes are higher. And so maybe it wasn't as dominant on the stat sheet and, and as fun to watch. But as far as a defensive performance in a game that mattered, I think probably neck and neck for me, those those two performances. All right, here's what I want to do. I'm going to take a really quick sponsor break. And when we come back, I'm glad you mentioned that Baltimore game because the play we're always going to remember for eternity when it comes to that Ravens game was Teron Johnson's interception and return. He's playing next level right now. We're going to talk about him, a couple other players. Be right back after this break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Aaron Quinn, at the beginning of our chat, we both talked about being even uh, the two of us. We're not afraid to like take those L's, like mm. you said. And I had a couple of them this offseason 
One of them, let's start with Teron Johnson. I said a couple times during the offseason that I did not not like Teron, but I considered him just another guy, like a guy who was easily replaceable. Like, I really don't care if the Bills extend the guy. Um, if, if he happens to go down, they'll, they'll be fine. They'll just plug someone else in, you know, but I'm wrong because this guy's balling right now, man. He, well, along with Milano, I, I, I think he was one of the two best players on the field Sunday, four tackles, one for a loss. He had a sack on that very first drive. I think it might've been the second play of the game that really set the tone for the defense that whole game, two breakups, a quarterback pressure, a forced fumble. This guy is all over the place making plays. He might be the most eventful player on the Buffalo Bills. Sometimes that can be for bad reasons because he gets thrown at a lot in the slot. Obviously, he's a slot guy and quarterbacks like to go to the slot guys. But, you know, he's trying to cover a tight end. But he also makes a lot of good plays. I mean, this guy is playing really, really good. And two weeks in, I don't know if this is an overreaction or not early in the season, but he's quickly becoming to me when you start thinking about next offseason, which hopefully won't be for a very long time. but. They might want to try to get this dude locked up and not let him hit the market because he's earning himself some money. He's going to get paid, whether it's Buffalo or someone else. He's going to get some money. But your boy played lights out against Miami. And he was really good against Pittsburgh, too. He's had an amazing start to the season. Yeah. Uh, and to the point of t- what we were talking about earlier, taking your L's and taking your victory laps, I'm lapping all over Twitter uh, about <laughs> Terry Johnson here because this is a guy I've had to defend quite a bit. And I defend some guys that I think are I think he's a better player than Levi Wallace and Levi's another guy that I defend although also had a good game until those cramps were happening up I was impressed with what Levi did and that could be maybe another time uh for a conversation for that but Taron Johnson yeah you talked about it the Steelers game he also had a great game I think he was uh I, I talked about it on our podcast I think he had a real shot at being the player of the game for the Bills even in that loss I think he was one of the more dynamic players in that game he's playing closer to what we saw his rookie year which was a super good player in his rookie year he had a bit of a down year early on uh, last year but I think some of the context that was lacking what I was trying to defend in his early struggles was Matt Milano went out right early on uh, last year in that first game they didn't even get through a first half after the first half of that Jets game last year Matt Milano was out and Tremaine Edmonds was dinged up that nickel position, I think, is probably the second hardest position, in my opinion, in the NFL next to quarterback. Quarterback's by far the hardest position. You're touching the ball every play. You're involved in every play. There's so much thrown at you. But nickel, we talked about earlier, the, the game is designed for passing offense. You can't touch guys. You're getting guys, at least as, as a boundary corner, you have the boundary as an extra, extra defender. When you're the nickel, you're out there in the middle there's a lot of community. You have to communicate with that boundary corner, with safeties, with the linebackers. There's a lot of passing off, especially in a Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier zone defense. There's a lot of stuff going on in there. Plus, uh, as that slot nickel defender, the guys that you're lining up with, you don't usually get to press because they're the ones that lined up a little bit behind the line of scrimmage, right? That's what uh, Julian Edelman and, and Wes Welker were so good at for years. Cole Beasley, so good at is a team will be able to line them back up uh, a step back and in, in towards the backfield where you can't get press on them. So they have a step on you. You're not going to be able to get your hands on them and then they can shift either direction, right? Like these guys are hard to cover. They're shifty dudes. So you're already at a disadvantage playing the nickel. And so, yeah, he's going to get targets. Um, he's also going to lead the NFL in snaps from that nickel position because that's how valuable he is to this team. This team, 
he allows the Bills to play 90-plus percent nickel defense. It's now their base package is nickel because Taron Johnson. And so I've been stressing the importance of him to this team. It's in the run game. It's in the pass game. And so for him now to start translating some of that and his comfort level is turning into big splash plays and creating turnovers, it's just fantastic to see. I think I'm I'm stressed to find – a player that maybe embodies the process and the Sean McDermott brain to being processed more than Johnson mid round pick small school doesn't have the measurables when he was drafted. I was like, who is this guy? He's got tiny little T-Rex arms. Like this guy's not going to last in the NFL. He doesn't have any of the measurables to be a, an elite slot corner comes out, has a great rookie year plays bigger than he is. Everybody talks about that gets a few injuries, has a down start to the year gets benched last year yeah. is able to come back in in that game never look back never even made it a question that that job was his the rest of the year it just got better and was an ascending player as the year went on and now he's taken a step forward and, and and i don't think this is a uh hiccup or anything i think this is who teron johnson is and i i do think he's a priority for the bills to sign in free agency because of what i said that he embodies the process of Hey, we drafted you. We we invested in you. They the Bills have a nickel specific coach. I don't know that any other teams in the league have nickel specific coach that works with Johnson. He's a huge part of this defense. He's their guy. He's embodied everything they want out of the process. You heard the way Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde were talking about him in the press conference. Matt Perino just brought up the name Darren Johnson, and they cut him off. And we're like, that dude is a dog. He works so hard. The way all the, his other teammates talk about him, I think it's a priority. Uh, and, and I think Brandon B knows it. I think that they will try to get something done with him and lock him up here. I don't think it'll break the bank. Slot corners, I think there's a couple of them that have made some good money. But I think uh, Johnson knows too a little bit. I think he probably will want a big payday. But I think he knows a little bit maybe that part of his success is being in Buffalo and being with these other defensive backs and in this system for so long that that's part of the success he's been able to have. I think he's one of those players that where if he goes somewhere – He's still a good football player no matter where he goes, but he'll be more successful here with Leslie Frazier and these other defensive backs. I think the fit is perfect. I think uh, I think Buffalo fans recognize his importance. I, I think people around the league are starting to notice that too. Broadcasters, other teams are starting to focus. He's like one of those guys when you're talking about Bill's guys to to look out for when you talk discuss the defense. He's become one of those guys. It's so someone else because I'll tell you right now, I say this half jokingly. You don't do team MVPs and stuff after two games. But if just for shits and giggles, were we to do that? If Teron Johnson is not the Bills MVP through two games for me, it's Matt Milano. Oh, he's awesome, dude. Dude, this guy has been unbelievable. Five tackles, two for a loss, a sack, a fumble recovery, and I was reading an article in the Athletic. Joe B wrote like seven pressures. He had a success per pressure percentage of seventy-seven point eight. That means more than three out of every four times he was rushing for Brissett or Tua that he got a pressure on him. Yeah. That, that's fucking absurd. I don't like to swear too often on this podcast, but that's absurd. This guy is worth, what did he get, $44 million over 11 years? I think $20 million was that was guaranteed, something like that. I'm going to tell you right now, he kind of reminds me of Teron Johnson in one way. Athletically and talent-wise, these guys are so vastly underrated. It's just a matter of staying healthy and staying on the field. I think Teron right. has had that problem at least the first couple of years of his career. For sure. And you worry about that because of the way they play. Milano, undersized, kind of the same way. But, yo, 
This guy, when healthy, he's one of the better linebackers in the NFL. He is just, he absolutely was dominant. To me, as good as Teron Johnson was, I think Matt Milano was the best player on the football field on Sunday. And there's lots of candidates for sure. sure. We just talked two of them. And we maybe we'll talk one or two more. But he was as good as anybody Sunday, without question to me. Yeah, I actually gave him my spot, Uncle Jumbo Spotlight Player of the Game, uh, which we do on our show. I mm-hmm. had said it. I was like, well, I want to give my lap to Sharon Johnson because I've defended him for so many years against the the angry mob. Uh, but I do agree. I think Mamelon was the best player on the field yesterday. Maybe one of the best players in the NFL. I think when defensive uh, player of the week comes up, I think that he should be in the running for it. It's not a massive stat line in traditional box scores, right? Five solo tackles, two tackles for loss, uh, one sack, but uh, he led to pretty much every sack that other people cleaned up was a Milano pressure causing some of these other sacks. He's just all over the place, man. This Bill's defense plays at such another level when this was a huge problem. We were talking and, and this is a little bit of a similar conversation that we're having with the offense right now, right? Last year, we were dogging on the defense for the entire month of September, pretty much all of October. Leslie Frazier was, uh, you know, trying to say, hey, you know, you're, you want to be playing your best ball in November, December. They, that was like kind of the running conversation that was it week in and week out. Matt Milano being out was what caused so much disruption to that defense. It caused Taron to, to have struggles. It caused Tremaine Edmonds to play out of position and, and try to do too much. It caused a lot of issues for this defense. He is the keystone. He's the linchpin to this defense being successful. They play through the linebackers. And I got to give a shout out to Eric Turner at cover one. This was a guy that early in the draft process that year, he pinpointed as an archetype for Sean McDermott defense. And he, he was telling us all in our DMS, like, dude, you got to watch this kid. He is nasty. Like this kid's going to be a nasty pro. And he was on it right from the jump and it's his guy. And he's been right ever since when he's playing and he's healthy, this defense is just a totally different unit than when he's uh, hurt or or not in the unit. Uh, And and so if he can stay healthy for the whole year, man, watch out. Cause when he's healthy, I don't think pro bowls are a big deal, but he's a pro bowl level guy. He's a borderline all pro level guy when he's healthy. And so uh, I hope that he can stay healthy and play out a full year because this could be a real special unit here for Buffalo this year. I'll tell you, man. I mean, a number that like doesn't show up in the stat sheet is everything Milano did and all the stats he wrote off. He also was really good at covering tight ends and even running backs coming out of the backfield and they don't throw at him because he's covered. So that's not even really a stat that, uh, you know, that you could talk a lot about. I guess the only weakness with Milano is not even a weakness, but it's just, can he stay healthy? It's not even a weakness. It's more of a question. Sometimes he's over-aggressive, but I can live with that. I can live with a little bit of over-aggressiveness sometimes. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Now, any good defense, we found this out in week one. A good defense starts with the front four, getting pressure on a quarterback. Uh, Pittsburgh did that to Buffalo. Now the difference was Pittsburgh did it with four dudes. There was no blitz. It was Leslie Frazier was dialing up brilliantly, I might add dialing up blitzes against Miami. Pittsburgh was getting home with just four. The Bills weren't really doing a lot of that. Maybe they could have anyway. In fact, I'm sure they would have the way the, that Miami office line was blocking. But yeah, let's talk Gregory Rizzo for a minute because I'm not going to take an L here because that would suggest that I was down on the pick. I didn't hate the pick back in April, but I also didn't love it. In fact, you know, I was okay with a defensive end. I was one of those, sure, Travis Etienne would be a lot of fun to have on the offense. And I'm not going to lie and sit here now and say, oh, I didn't want a running back. I would have been happy if Travis Etienne was a pick. I remember that. I can't even remember the defensive ends that I was advocating for. 
There were a couple guys that got drafted right after him that I was very uh, that I wanted the Bills to take. I thought they would be better fits. I didn't think Greg Rizzo necessarily was going to be. I thought he was going to be pretty much a redshirt player this year. I mean, that was kind of the word. I mean, I mean, he's obviously got the size, but I don't know. I just didn't love the kid, but I, I mean, I wasn't mad enough about it to to really bitch and moan and complain. So I'm not going to take an L for it. But anyway, regardless, dude, two sacks, two hurries, two tackles for a loss. He looks like a steal. He's making cynics who who didn't like the pick look really, really silly right now. Pretty quickly, too. Yeah, I didn't love the pick. I was a little shocked by it because I, I think most I fell into sort of the draft hive mind where people had him more as a second round pick than an end of the first round guy. And so I, I, I agree with you. There was guys on the board that I would have preferred to have had. But yeah, and now he looks good. I do think the thing to me that stands out the most about Greg Rousseau isn't I knew that he would have production in the pass rush because of that length and those traits that we talked about uh, about him. But his ability in the run game, I think, has shown why he's been able to be on the field this I'm much stunned. as a rookie because that's a liability a lot of the times for some of these rookies. And he has not been a liability at all. And, in fact, when they went at him, his length and athleticism allows him to, to be productive in the run game. And so that's probably the thing that stood out the most to me. Those sacks, we'll talk about them, and I'm glad that he got them. They were cleanup sacks, and that's fine. That was the knock on him that he cleans up. The Bills didn't have a cleanup sack guy last year. They were getting pressures last year. Nobody was cleaning up sacks, so I'm not mad at that. Um, but, yeah, his ability in the run game, his the, the motor that he plays with, and the the way the Bills early on here are putting him out on the field and the percentages that they are, this isn't something Sean McDermott, outside of uh, – Tredavious White, they haven't really gone to their rookies right out of the gate and put them in for tons of snaps right away, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So love what we're seeing out of Rousseau. And the, the win that I'll take on him was everybody had labeled Boogie Basham as the pro-ready, right? That was his yep. title was pro-ready. And everybody was saying that. I hate that title for guys because they automatically think, well, if he's pro-ready, he should be the one getting all the starts and Rousseau is going to have a redshirt year. And I saw the traits of Rousseau and immediately thought this kid's going to have way more of an impact than Boogie Basham will in his rookie year. And I don't know that Boogie Basham will even be able to crack this roster uh, with that pro-ready title. Now, I'm not out on Boogie. Uh, it's not, look at what A.J. Epinesa did after a pretty much inactive rookie year campaign. So I'm not out on Boogie Basham. I don't think it's a busted pick or anything like that. Um, but we got to get rid of that title, I think, with draft prospects and the, the whole – idea that guys are pro ready -ready. it's garbage it's a garbage take it is uh well you saved me a question because i was going to ask you that with boogie is it's like do you have the mindset right now that man i really wish he would have taken a guard or cornerback or do you have the the ag epinesa mindset where you know last year aj really quite frankly as a rookie was brought along slowly and as a result didn't do shit we're seeing already this year especially yesterday (sighs) what a great game he's doing a lot of shit and one more thing about Rizzo too to me, there's like two type of, of pass rushers in the NFL now and historically that are considered like elite. You got your Boses and your Watts, the guys who are just so physically gifted from God who just, it doesn't matter what scheme you have. Yeah, they just find a way to beat you. There's those guys. And then there's guys who just, you know, you talked about cleanup sacks. There's just guys around the league, great pass rushers or guys who've put up great numbers for a long time. Maybe Mario's one of them, Mario Williams, uh, yeah, Maybe I think Taylor so. Taylor Jones yeah. is another guy. There's guys who just always seem to be in the right place. Like the quarterback, for whatever reason, ends up where they're at, whether they're directly 
you know, get in the pat the, the quarterback in the pocket, no matter where it is, they just seem to fall into the right place. The right place, the right time. They do it a lot, often enough that they become great pass rushers. Maybe Rizzo's that guy. You know, he certainly ain't no Bozo or Watt right now, but he just he seems to me like a guy who who just for whatever reason he seems to be in the right place at the right time. And it's gonna lead to a lot of impressive statistical totals. That's how I feel about Rizzo right now. Now yeah. Vanessa, go ahead. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And yeah, Epinesa is more, I think, that other type that you said where he's sure. bending and getting off the edge and stuff like that. But to the, to the point of with Basham real quick, I think it's hard when you're constructing a team because obviously the Bills are all in for 2021, right? And in hindsight, especially with the poor guard play from Feliciano here at the start of the year in that first game, you look back and you think, damn, man, I wish we would have invested a little more in guard. And I was the, the guy pounding the table that we I didn't want, did not want to go into the season with John Feliciano at guard. Now, granted, he had a nice game here this last week, and I hope that's something that he can build off of because I was trashing his name on Twitter, and, and I hope that I'm wrong and he can build off that. But when you're building a team, you also have to think about the future, right? And I love Jerry Hughes. I will, you're probably going to have to take a, maybe another slight L here with Mario Addison when we get to him in a second. Um, another guy like those guys are not long-term Bills players, right? I don't even think we'll see them on the team next year. So when you remove those guys from this team in a year, two at most, that defensive end group goes from an area of strength right now, week two in 2021, to a very not deep area of weakness in 2022. And so if you can prepare Boogie Basham for that and learn from the Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes and even AJ Epinesa at this point, and you saw F.A. Obata working with uh, Epinesa on the sideline, you've got a nice room there with some guys that have some uh, understanding of the game. And uh, Fina had talked about that uh, veteran presence, right, Uh, mattering to these young guys. If Basham absorbs all this, reframes his body, in the same way that A.J. Epinesa took a year to really reframe his body, learn the pro game, he might be able to come in next year and have the type of impact we're seeing from an A.J. Epinesa and be part of this rotation instantly, where then now next year you don't have to overpay because edge is a premium position. You can find a left guard, right? You're going you're to be able to find some guard in free agency that could be at the level and maintain the floor of a John Feliciano or better, and you won't have to break the bank to do it. But if you want to get good edge players, if you don't draft them and start piling up those edge players, you're going to overpay for guys like a Trent Murphy, paying the price that you had to pay for Mario Addison. People don't like paying those prices for these guys. The only way to avoid that is to draft heavy at that position. So I know people are frustrated that he's inactive. There's a plan in place. There's a reason Brandon Bean double-dipped there. And I have to trust that they're going to do the right things and get him in here. So next year we can get over this whole he's a bust type thing. I, I think just hold on and have patience with him. I absolutely agree. And I would even add that even with Rizzo, I, I mean, he was certainly not going to be a red shirt like I think Basham is more or less turned into for the time being, at least anyway. But I don't, I'm not sure that they expected Rizzo to do what he's doing this fast. I mean, he, I think he might have had the most snaps of any defensive end on Sunday. I, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure he did. Uh, We'd be ridiculous to to not talk A.J. Epinesa. I mean, if Teron Johnson or Matt Milano, if we want to flip a coin for who was the best player on the field, A.J. Epinesa was like literally right there as well. I mean, this guy was an animal. He he knocked two out of the game with, with, with a clean hit. It was easily the best game of his career. 
And like you said, to your point, for people right now who are really down on Boogie, take AJ Epinesa last year to this year, and even to add to that a little, little bit more, maybe some people, to a small extent, myself included, who was not very happy that the Bills went defensive end picks one and two in this draft, you could already start to see the fruits of that labor and the plan definitely in place. Because let's assume they do lose Addison and Hughes. Now, all of a sudden, yeah, they are thin, or they'll be thinner than they are right now. But if this trajectory continues, if Rizzo continues to play the way he is, and Epinesa continues to play the way they are, there's your two ends right there with Basham, with Dobata. And like you said, to your point, man, you're not going to have to go out and, and break the bank to add, uh, you know, a skilled veteran defensive end to that mix. But anyway, that's down the road. Let's talk about this freaking game and AJ Epinesa, because your boy was just a damn monster out there, man. Loved his game on Sunday. Yeah, and honestly, where I first really expected this out of him this year, Eric Turner did a breakdown at the end of the year last year and showed the growth in his game as the year went on and as he became more of a role in that defense. And the defense had struggles last year, but this wasn't some slouch of defense. They were still the eighth uh, ranked weighted DVOA defense in the NFL. They came on strong the end of the year. And Epinesa was a, a decent part of that. And he showed a number of things that he really had insight to saying, like, this guy, if he keeps up this type of ascension, he's going to be a problem next year. And so that was going into this year was something that I really was looking at. And then you started to see it. Uh, Peter Schrager picked him as one of the breakout players in the NFL uh, in his top 10 breakout players this year. And you just saw more and more people talking about him. You saw he had a really good camp. Uh, so all good things. And now it's coming to fruition here so far early on in this season. If that's going to be the case for him, this is this could be a really great year. Because they're also, you know, we'll talk about it in a second, they're getting pressure up the middle and pressure on the outside. And the ability to rotate guys in and out and have fresh legs and the number of guys that they have. I think that you saw that benefit in Miami. It was super hot, and they went on long, sustained drives for a couple of times. Brissett was moving the ball a number of times and had a number of long drives, 10, 11, 13 play drives. But the ability of the Bills to just rotate those pass rushers, they never really got tired, and it allowed a guy like A.J. Epinesa to be at his best throughout the, the entire thing. And that's the beauty of this Bills defense is they don't need A.J. Epinesa to be a J.J. Watt. They don't need him to be a Chandler Jones. They just need him to be part of the rotation. And when you are in and you have fresh legs, be disruptive, be a problem for the the other team. And that's my favorite thing is I don't think they have anybody on this defensive line that at the end of the year is going to be up in the top echelon of sack totals or anything like that. But I think as a unit, that unit's going to be in the top I'll give a hot take. I think they'll be in the top three in terms of pressures and sacks here this year uh, as a total unit, but you won't see any, but I don't know that you'll see a guy with double digit sacks on this team. Eh, well, it can still be a great unit w without it. And all right. So we've talked Mario Addison a little bit, and this is, it's not a little L it's a big L that I, I need to hit. I need to eat this right now because I was very against the bills trading Daryl Johnson at the time. I mean, I'm looking back and reflecting now and I'm being honest with everybody. I was in the mindset and I know financially it didn't make a lot of sense, but I wanted the Bills to move on from Addison. I was like, my mindset was Daryl Johnson is still a good young defensive player with room to grow, and he's a key special teams contributor. I just thought Mario Addison was, quite frankly, I thought he was washed up, all right? I did not like the way he looked last year, especially in the second half of the year. 
And so far, I couldn't be more wrong, man. I couldn't be more wrong. He had a sack against Pittsburgh. I thought he played very well. And he played very well again in Miami, which, you know, and again, you mentioned this earlier. John Fina was on my show a couple of weeks ago, and I asked him about this. I'm like, I thought Addison should get cut. And he, and he told me I was wrong, and he explained that he has a role on this team, on and off the field. Like, what you're seeing from A.J. Epinesa, what you're seeing from Gregory Rizzo right now, Mario Addison deserves at least a little bit of credit for that. You know, he's helping mentoring and getting these guys ready, especially with A.J. Epinesa. And Addison's talked about him multiple times over the course of the summer. That's all fine and dandy, but he ain't just Matt Barkley, who's an asset to Josh Allen off the field. You know what I mean? Yeah. This guy's playing well on the field. He's still got he's juice. He's playing very well. He's earning his keep. Yeah, he's still got juice. I was dead wrong about the guy, at least yeah. right now, and I'm happy to say that, too. That was one of my, so I missed on a couple of my preseason hot takes. Uh, most, the biggest one I missed on was Isaiah McKenzie. I had him getting cut and obviously not uh, a cut candidate. But one of my takes was that Mario Addison not only makes this team, but has a, a decent role on this team. And I think that I nailed that one in that I think this role works out perfect for him. I agree with you that he's a descending player and I I had no problems with the fact that yeah maybe he's not the guy that he was but he was still productive in 2020 uh and you just didn't see the sacks always getting home but he was a productive edge rusher on a team that produced a lot of pressures and he's at the point in his career where he can't be the guy right he can't be the guy taking a, a large percentage of the snaps so that you have this defensive rotation like I was talking about where you can limit his percentage of the snaps and limit again Jerry Hughes as he gets older and now you have fresh legs and not a lot of pressure on him to be the guy generating all the pressures I think last year he felt the need to maybe overexert himself to to get pressures to get home because they were struggling to get some pressures early on and now he doesn't really have that pressure he can go out there and play pretty free and he's only getting a limited number of snaps and I've liked what I've seen out of him so far in a limited number of snaps he's not getting big he had the big sack in week one uh, with the strip sack, but he, he had a number of plays in this game where he moved the pocket. He moved guys out of the way yeah. and created some pressures that made for bad throws. And if he can do that consistently in limited work, that's going to take a lot of pressure off AJ and, and Groot and some of these other guys and sprinkle Jerry in there. I mean, everybody's balling right now at this point in the season. And th- that is so good to see with a fresh rotation. Cause my worry was, okay, we're going to have this big rotation, but then you know, my, my concern is maybe Jerry starts to fall off a cliff a little bit. Maybe the juice isn't there like I thought it was. And maybe Mario does hit that. You know, age is undefeated. Father time beats everybody. Not Brady yet, but it beats everybody at some point. And my concern was, okay, so they want to have this rotation, but you're going to get to the point where it doesn't make sense to play some of these older guys because the younger guys are just so much better. But I don't think you're seeing a significant drop-off when the older guys come in for their limited amount of snaps. They're still creating pressures and creating problems and chaos for the offensive line. You know, it's funny. Jerry Hughes has probably had the quietest start to the season among the Bills' defensive ends, and he's, but he's still played perfectly fine. I don't think Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier could draw it up any better than when you look at the snap count percentage among the defensive line. You want to talk about rotating fresh bodies in and out? That's quite literally what they're doing right now. As I'm looking at this, so Rizzo had the most snaps. He played 66%. The other defensive ends, Addison at 47%, which we agree with. I think that's the perfect amount of numbers or, or percentage for him to be most effective. Hughes was right there at 46%. And uh, who am I missing here? A.J. Epinesa was at 
46%. So they were all in that 46% to 47, except for, for Rizzo, who played 66. And then you look at the DTs, man. Oliver, 54%. Zimmer, 51%. Uh, Vernon Butler, 47 By the way, Vernon Butler had a decent game. Uh, I bash him a lot, but I, I thought he played decent. And uh, Starlo Tutele in his first action of the season, he played 42%. That's 42 to 49% pretty much, or 51% for all those guys, with again, with the exception of Brazil, who played a little bit more. That is some really good, uh, that's death, man. That's rotation right there. And every guy I mentioned, again, I told you this, except for maybe Edmonds, name me a Bills defender, and I'll name you a guy who looked good Sunday. I love it. Yeah, it's, Star had a sneaky, really good game, too. Yeah, like it, four pressures, I think I read, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and he looks, you know, I know fans, That's a, this is another guy that I spent two years ago really defending a lot because he's not a box score guy. He's never going to show up heavy in the box score, but he did, comes consistently and does his job. But this year already, more so in this first uh, uh performance that we saw he looked a little faster and be able to provide a little more pressure and if that's the case man if, if Starla Tule had something that he didn't have when he was back by gosh man this could be a, a really fun year for this defensive line hopefully he can stay healthy because that interior interior pressure is what matters the most in the NFL I think edges get paid big time it's fun to see a guy come off the edge and get the strip sack but you want to make it uncomfortable for a quarterback to step up into the pocket and that's the interior pressure is where it matters Ed Oliver has been incredibly disruptive this year and again not showing up heavy on stat sheets but when you pull up the film uh, he's disruptive in the run game he's disruptive in the pass game he is just throwing guys around and so it, this is an exciting unit for me, this front uh, seven, and specifically this defensive line, because I think that, you know, people will talk about the Bills lost that game against Kansas City because Tyreek Hill, they had no speed to cover Tyreek Hill. And obviously he made the big play and they had trouble covering there, but I thought they lost the game primarily in the trenches uh, on both sides of the ball. I think they got pushed around in the trenches really throughout the playoffs. I think Indy beat them in the trenches too. And so to add something to at least the off the defensive side uh, on the trenches, I don't see a lot of units league wide. I said it earlier, like when we look at all these offensive lines, there's weak pieces across all of them. There's good players, but there's weak pieces across all of them. And if this Bills line is playing consistent uh, through all four pieces with a heavy rotation through all four pieces, Lions are going to have a long day playing this Bills team, and it's only going to free up your Taron Johnsons on blitzes and your Matt Milano's, and and this is going to allow Frazier to get real tricky with some of those blitzes. We saw Groot dropping back and Jerry Hughes dropping back into coverage just to create some confusion because you think, man, they're just going to run four at us because those four can beat us, but then you drop them back and nobody knows what to do. So uh, it's going to be a very interesting front seven and how they work it. As long as everyone can stay healthy here this year, um, I'm, I'm big excited on the, this ascending unit. One more defensive note, and we've spent significantly more time talking defense than we'll talk offense today because, quite frankly, the defense deserves to be talked about. It's easy to talk about, did Josh Allen play well in blowouts? Yeah, everyone else is talking play about bad? That, yeah. But the, the defense deserves his shine today, okay? So, uh, Levi Wallace, I thought he had a nice bounce back, at least half, yeah. uh, against Miami. I don't want to say he was bad against Pittsburgh. He wasn't bad, but he didn't have a bad they, game. They attacked him. He was all right. They attacked him clearly. Big Ben went after him big time in the second half, and Pittsburgh had some success. Um, I'm not, it certainly wasn't Levi Wallace's fault why the Bills lost the game. I'm not saying right. that. But anyway, he had a good game. Uh, 
a horrible, uh, first of all, a beautiful pass breakup followed by a horrific, stupid uh, Tawny penalty, which was complete bullshit. And then karma served justice right there because yeah. like one or two plays later, he comes up with an INT. So a nice bounce back for Levi. But then he goes out in the second half. I, was it cramping? I, I, I can't remember. That's what they're that. saying. Although uh, McDermott today said uh, had some like tension or something yeah. in his leg or something, tweaked something. So we'll see. But yeah, I, I thought it was cramping. He, he was listed as probable to come back. Right. And now, so Dane Jackson comes in and what does he do? Now, again, it, it didn't mean the difference. The Bills were going to win that football game. But you want to shut out? You need to have a couple big defensive stops. And that fourth down open field tackle, Jay Jackson comes in the game. Malcolm Brown open field. He looks like he's going to get the first. And, and Dane Jackson makes a beautiful open field tackle. Had to be a nice boost to his confidence if Levi Wallace, if it does turn out to be something a little significant and he's got to miss a little bit of time, uh, Dane Jackson, that was a big play. So, yeah, man, again, top to bottom, with the exception of maybe Terrell Edmonds, who was all right, and then he left. He had cramping issues. So who knows with him? But anyway, the, the entire defense just played well. I love the fact that Levi bounced back and that Dane Jackson got some run and then he made a big play too. Just an all-around, completely, utterly dominant Bills defensive effort. I'd be remiss if I didn't say, I don't put, like, when you lose 35 nothing. the first thing you're saying is, oh my God, this quarterback must be fucking horrific. Brissette made a couple mistakes, but that offensive line let him down, and those receivers let him down. I mean, this guy had a couple nice drives where he made some nice throws, and these guys were just dropping the football. Yeah, they did, yeah. Dropping the football, fumbling the football. I don't know what, again, it's just Miami did not look like a good football team to me, and I don't really put that on Jacoby Brissett at all. No, actually, I was, when Tua got hurt, I was like, man, I'd actually rather be playing Tua. Me too. And Jacoby Brissett. I think I have a sign behind me here that I was doing on our, our show this week that Miami was better off with Fitz. And I believe it. I was joking just to kind of jab Miami fans, but I believe it 100% that they were better with Fitz than Tua. And I think they might be better off with Jacoby Brissett than Tua. I really do. I don't, I'm not a believer in Tua and I don't know that he's going to be a good NFL QB. Um, and real quick before you comment on that, very excited about what I saw out of Levi Wallace, that aggressive attacking. I agree with you. That taunting was complete bullshit. It was, I, I'm so mad at the NFL. They're so soft for making this a, a thing. When you make a play like that, you should be able to let everybody know that you made a play like that. And if he can play like that with any type of consistency, Eric Turner and I were talking offline a little bit. And I, I've been a defender of Levi as a, hey, he's adequate for a cornerback to, it's a decent floor to have. And people think that I love this player. He's fine. But if he can add that level of aggression at the point of attack on plays and become a guy that comes off his spot to attack the ball like we saw in the, the interception – this could be really interesting because I think he goes from being an adequate cornerback to, to an above average cornerback to in the NFL. And I think he will be a hot commodity. If he becomes a guy that's real aggressive at the ball, like that play we saw, that was the best play I've seen from Levi Wallace, the one where he attacked the ball and got flagged. If he can do that with any type of consistency, I think that raises his level uh, that stock level. And he becomes the kind of cornerback too, that everybody here in Buffalo has been wanting to replace him with because he doesn't attack the, the, the point of attack like that. So huge on him. And I hope that that's a trend going forward for Levi. I, I agree with you. I think the, the pass breakup was significantly a better play than the interception. The interception, quite frankly, was a gift on a really poor throw under pressure. It was still a good play, but yeah, it was a gift of a throw. Right. Uh, I'll say this too about, and this is kind of a segue because we'll spend a few minutes here wrapping up talking about the Bills offense 
it was very frustrating at halftime to only be up 14-0 because the defense was just utterly dominant and the offense had so many opportunities to just blow the game wide open before they even went to the locker room. And obviously, uh, they didn't. So Especially after offense, week one where you were up right, 10 nothing, yeah. and then you lost You're up it. Up 10-0, <laughs> yep. Um, Jerry Sullivan, maybe the, the worst Bill Cynic out there, had a, I thought it was a fair point. The Bills were damn lucky, at least for the first 30 minutes of that game, that Fitzpatrick wasn't the quarterback. Because the way Fitzpatrick has played in the past, and again, I mean, the Bills' offense just didn't look good. And Miami guy, I mean, I don't know. The quarterback play, again, I don't want to sit here and bash for a sec because I don't think it was that bad, but it could have been better. A guy like Fitzpatrick, that could have been a different game if the quarterback had been better for Miami. But that's more about the Bills' offense just not playing well. And uh, before that, though, you you talked about the offensive line. Let's give them a little bit of credit because I, I do think they – they did much better blocking and run blocking with the exception of one. It's too easy. It's low-hanging fruit to talk about Feliciano or maybe even Cody Ford to some extent. Deion Dawkins was terrible against Pittsburgh. I still think he's getting back to 100%. I thought he looked much better against Miami. But I want to ask you about Darrell Williams because from my eyes, and I'm not breaking down film, and maybe the grades will come out in the next couple of days, and I'll be completely wrong. But Darrell Williams does not look good to me, not just once, but but both games this year, is he starting to become a concern to you? Uh, he, he struggled early on. Right now, I hate to say to be that guy because I think a lot of people already think I'm a homer. Nothing right now is concerning me. Like uh, who your team is in September, who these players are in September, um, these things don't concern me. And I'm not getting t- as excited as I am for some of the good things we've seen to not get too high on what you see in September uh, as well. So it's something maybe to keep an eye on. I'll say that uh, maybe he's not the guy he was in the first half of last year, but even that first half of last year, people were talking PFF at him as a, they're all pro at the halfway point in the season. He fell off a little bit in the second half. He still had some good games. Uh, I do think Cody Ford didn't have a great game and it's the offensive line plays as a unit. And when the guy next to you has a bad game, I think it also forces a little bit for you to have a bad game. And we saw that a little bit with Mitch Morse last year playing in between two guards that weren't playing well. I don't think Mitch Morris had his best year, uh, but he was doing a lot of extra work uh, to make up for the lack of play next to him. And so it's hard to tell. Offensive line is one that I try to stay away from. Uh, Greg always tries to beat me into immediate takes post-game, and it's really hard post-game because Josh Allen said it in his press conference uh, right after the game. We don't know the blocking assignments. We don't know what is being asked of these guys on certain plays. So it's hard to seriously sit here and critique them. Brandon Thorne is really good at that on Twitter. Uh, Russ Brown here at Cover One it does a really good job. And Eric Turner does a really good job of breaking that stuff down. But even when I get the All-22 and break it down, I'm wrong all the time on what offensive linemen we're supposed to do. It's a position I don't fully understand. But yeah, in terms of the game last yesterday uh, with the eye test, Cody Ford was a concern and Daryl Williams was a concern. And those guys, you want to be able to step it up. I can live with one week link on the offensive line every single week. I talk about it all the time. If Feliciano is going to be the bad, uh, below average player, I can live with that as long as everybody else is rising up. But Cody Ford's going to have the bad game as long as Feliciano plays better. I can't have two out of those five guys play weak games against good teams because that's just going to put too much pressure on Josh. But Josh wasn't pressured all that much well and he had one sack for eight yards the run game did good so it's hard to nitpick too hard on this offensive lines game because i do think as a unit they redeemed themselves quite a bit from a week ago 
Yeah, they definitely did. I'll say this. So the guard play is a concern of mine, along with Daryl Williams. With Daryl Williams, maybe, I don't know for sure, but maybe they have their in-house replacement immediately, if need be, with Spencer Brown. Not sure if they want to throw a rookie out there, but he's a good talent anyway. Guard, I could see this could be the one position where if Brandon Bean does do something before the trade deadline this year, I could see them maybe adding the guard. If Feliciano and Ford are struggling, and it certainly looks like they're going to have probably what we expected them to have, an up and down type of season where some weeks they look good, some weeks they look bad. Put it this way, I've seen nothing the first two weeks from them that inspire confidence when they play the Chiefs in a couple of weeks and Chris Jones is lined right. up against these guys. Chris Jones you is saw what happened. Absolutely wrecked Feliciano last year. I'm very he wrecks everybody, though. I will say, he Chris does. Jones is wrecking everybody. Well, he he maybe he does, but that didn't stop Baltimore from throwing up what thirty six points or whatever sure. it was yeah. on Sunday night. So, point being is, I could see guard being one position where maybe Brandon Bean goes outside the organization and trades yeah. a draft pick for a guy who they could plug in. I have no idea who that'd be. No, I'm not gonna. You know, I wish Rishi Incognito didn't totally lose it here. Burn and his he could, bridge. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but they could. They could. That's the one position where I, I really feel like you say you're not concerned about anything. I am concerned about. The offensive line and sure. especially especially the guards. Not concerned about the running backs anymore because this is what hey, I'm, hey. I'm gonna I I got how could I not? At this point, I would be like I'd be no better than a guy like Skip Bayless or Nick Wright. Where if you're gonna sit there and say that a guy shouldn't even be on this team or that he shouldn't have been playing, what can I say about Devin Singletary through first the first two games, man? The guy's been excellent, all right. That touchdown run was nice. Now, in fairness, that was a hell of a <laughs> There were some holes. Well, let's just say that was blocked well. Emmanuel Sanders had a great block as well. So he went almost untouched. But this guy's pushing the pile. He's he's made he's making guys miss in short spaces, which we always knew he could do that. But he's getting on. He's breaking tackles better. He's getting tough yards, which I don't think he did much a lot uh, before. So he had 82 yards on Sunday, 13 carries. He's on pace through two games for like 1,300 yards, which maybe in a 17-game season, that's not quite as impressive, but it's still... Those are good numbers, man. He he's playing very well. Um, Zach Moss, who I am a big fan of, love him. He had an early fumble, and I'm happy for him, man. He made up for. He had a nice touchdown run, and then he had the one yard uh, touchdown for his second. Only ran for 26 yards, but they were tough yards. Most importantly, he got a chance to to atone for his fumble, and this is where I think Sean McDermott and Brian Dable, because I'm sure he had something to do with it too. I'm really happy with how they used him on Sunday. Because it would have been really easy. Oh, shit, man. He fumbled. Again, the Bills were struggling on offense in the first half. And Devin Singletary looked really good. It would have been easy to just slam the door on him for the day. You have Singletary and maybe Matt Breida comes in to spell him. But I thought the Bills coaches did a really good job of keeping Moss in the game. And he kind of rewarded them. So I thought that was really good personnel, player personnel management by McDermott and Dable to not get away from Moss. And it, it turns out, like I said, he, he had a good game. And I think this might be the role that these guys have. Matt Breida, maybe in a specific matchup. Eh. But I, I'm I'm very pro Singletary first and, and Moss. Kind of the way they were used on Sunday for those reasons. I thought they were very effective in the running game. And I liked it a lot. Yeah. So, first of all, Singletary. I don't think you should take a full out there. Because I was on this podcast two years ago now and you compared him not comparing him to a Thurman but that he was a Thurman like running back and you were high on him then I think but you I turned got, heel on him you but got, I turned heel on you him. turned heel on him I think you got in your emotions 
and turned yeah. heel on him. But this wasn't a guy that you've always disliked. This was a guy no. that you liked. And I think what we're seeing out of Singletary is a return to his rookie form. I really do. He was a guy his rookie year that uh, led the league from the running back position in explosive runs. And we saw that here this last week, the ability to have an explosive run. I think he's added to that explosion. Uh, But I said it on on our post-game show, there's a struggle in the passing game. And again, we don't have to talk about that because everybody's going to talk about that ad nauseum here throughout the week. There's some struggles here to start the year in the passing game. And everybody talks about this is a passing league. Just – there's people out there that want to go as far with the analytics as you should never run. You should only pass because the, the analytics tell you to do that. You can generate explosive plays in the run game. And Devin Singletary so far in his career, uh, especially that first year as a rookie, showed that that is what he is. He generates – he might not always get the 76 or whatever, 46-yard touchdown, but he'll get you a 20-something yard run or, or two of those in a game. He can make explosive plays. and. I'm a big fan of toxic differential. So anytime that there's a player that creates toxic differential plays, I want to find ways to get this guy the ball and give him that ability to do it. So having that in your run game is fantastic. Zach Moss, I think people think this kid's just a bruiser, right? Like he's a little bit bigger than Singletary. He runs a little bit harder. But you saw him get around the edge a couple times in yeah. the preseason. And those call, those runs got called back, so people didn't make much of it. He had a better preseason than people thought. Uh, and then you saw it here this weekend with the sweeps. We didn't see any sweeps a year ago where they were just pitching out to a guy and let him get around the edge. Moss has that ability matched with the power to finish those runs. I'm super excited on Moss and, and have been. And I think I hope that he can stay healthy, stay on the field, and, and push that position because I think that there's a huge role for both of those guys. And to the point about the fumble, I loved what Sean McDermott had to say about that because you get on Twitter and – First of all, Zach Moss fumbled, and everyone's like, oh, he's in the doghouse. Devin Singletary has three fumbles on the year so far. Luckily for Devin Singletary, they've all gone out of bounds. But They go out of bounds. That, yeah. that is still a concern of mine with him, that he doesn't have a history of holding onto the ball, and that dates back further than this year uh, for Singletary. So I, I want to see him work on it. But they were acting like Moss has the problem. And everyone was immediately like, oh, he's in Sean McDermott's doghouse. He's going to be on the bench for the rest of the game. You won't see him get a touch. I think that's the wrong approach. That's the Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick's an asshole. He's a great coach, but he's he's an asshole guy that guys don't like playing for. And what Sean McDermott talked about is, and people hate this coach speak, and they hate the process, and they hate culture. But what McDermott said is like, hey, we all make mistakes. There, there's mistakes happen during the game. Mistakes happen all the time. We create a place where we understand it, and we want to give you the confidence that it's okay to make mistakes and that we still believe in you after a mistake. And I think that's super important to players. And Zach Moss talked about that, uh, too. In the past, he's talked about that. And then after this game, he talked about having that confidence in the coaches that they were still willing to roll with him after a fumble like that. And it paid off in this game for the Bills. And I think it pays off long term that you know – Josh Allen can make a mistake and that it's not the end of the world. Your job's not at risk because you made a mistake. We're all human. The coaches make mistakes. The players make mistakes. And I've, I always hated that about Bill Belichick, that one guy would, would fumble and you wouldn't see him for the rest of the game. It's like, dude, you make mistakes too. You, you're not perfect. You can't put it all on the player every time. So good on McDermott for creating, fostering that kind of environment where guys make mistakes and you play through it and, and you grow as a player because I think it's super important. When it comes to pass catchers, uh, they, they did their job. I mean, Stephon Diggs played fine. He had a nice contested catch on a throw that really wasn't very good. 
Emmanuel Sanders, like I said, he had a very key block on that Singletary touchdown run. Beasley had a pretty nice, nice game. Beasley had a pretty nice game. Uh, Dawson Knox did his job. Dude, we got to get Dawson I, Knox the ball. Yeah, okay. Uh, he did his job very effectively. I'm very, I'm satisfied with Dawson Knox right now. I'm, some hard catches this year. He's made yeah, some yeah, plays. Yeah. He's caught everything yeah. that's come his way. I think they got to find yep. more for him in this offense. I do. Agreed. I agree 100%. That 11 personnel, it was much more effective against Miami. I, listen, we, I mean, we can't not at least mention Josh Allen. I, I just want to get a quick take from you. I thought he was, he was all right. All right. I mean, it's not even remotely close to panic time or anything stupid like that. But you also, you'd be in denial if, if you don't admit he's not looking anything like 2020 Josh Allen right now either. Right now. And that's the important thing. The stats were yeah, a little you know, under 50% throwing, a little under 200 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. Um, should have had one or two more, quite frankly. Did run for 35 yards. He had a couple 2019 Josh Allen type plays, you know, where he th- he threaded the needle to Emmanuel Sanders. He avoided that sack on that Diggs touchdown. I thought it was a really nice touchdown pass to Dawson Knox. He put it only where he could get it. So he didn't play bad. I would say he was like somewhere between a C and maybe a C minus. I mean, the touch... The touch isn't there right now, man. I don't know. Again, it's very early. I'm not panicked. Even and even a knee-jerk reactor like myself, I'm not panicked whatsoever. There's, I'm not sure he's quite 100% comfortable yet. I don't know if it's the pressure of being the, the reigning runner-up to MVP, the big contract, playing in front of fans, the expectations that this team's going to go to the Super Bowl. That can't not weigh on you at all. You can't completely just throw that out. Because, right. you know, there are a lot of pressures that come with being an NFL quarterback, especially a franchise guy like Josh Allen. So I I just feel like right now he's not quite 100% comfortable. And that's that's where I'm willing to leave it. Because you can't, you can't deny it. He has not played fantastic the first two games. It's been a tough first two weeks. What I will say, in 2020, even though he had that MVP caliber season, he had back-to-back weeks against the Titans and Chiefs that were not goodly similar type of play that we saw. He did not play well against uh, the Steelers. Had actually a pretty similar game that he had against the Steelers this year. Uh, And and so it's hard because it's such a small sample size that we have a Josh right now for the year. You have two games. And so you see statistics coming out on Twitter where uh, one was his air yards completions. It's like, okay, but you have two games. And he had similar stats that lined up with that last year. If you just take a two-game sample. But when you stretch it out over a 16, 17 game stretch, he was great. He was an MVP season. And so we're, our hope is that he gets back to some of that. Where my, where I am right now is it, it's a tough two-game sample because the Steelers game was just terrible. That was a bad game for the entire offense. He was pressured at clips that we haven't seen Josh Allen be pressured at since his rookie year uh, where he was running around behind no offensive line with no skill players whatsoever. And so that was a bad game. That looks terrible. He had a bad half in this game, in my opinion. And actually, the first quarter wasn't bad, but that second quarter was just bad for the whole offense. I think some of it was play calling. I think they tried to go to the run a little too often after the early success. Uh, And I don't think they allowed Josh to get in much of a rhythm after that. Uh, What curbed my anxiety, and I tweeted this in the moment, curbed my anxiety was, all right, so the Bills have a 14-0 lead. It probably should have been higher uh, going going into the half. They get the ball out of half. 
and have a meticulous, really nice 2020-style drive down the field by this offense. And Josh looked in rhythm. He looked comfortable. He looked decisive. And after that, the Bills just started to rally off touchdowns uh, at at that point. And, And he's part of that, too. Even when the offense is getting touchdowns on the ground. He was still getting them there through the air, uh, getting them into position, checking in and out of plays, seeing the defense. So the quarterback's still a part of that. This team put up 35 points against. They didn't do it against the Jets. I don't know that Miami is a great team, but I think we can both agree that they're going to be fighting for a playoff spot. And mm-hmm. he, he put up 35 points. So not all is bad. I think there's a lot of reactions on Twitter right now that we're, we're very panicky, we're concerned. But I thought that that second half relieved a lot of my anxiety, especially that first drive, that, okay, like, we found a little bit of a rhythm. We found some stuff that worked. Josh Allen talked about that, that we went back to some more plays that everybody was comfortable with, that everybody feels works. They might have been trying to get a little too cute, adding too much stuff, maybe overthinking some of the things defenses are trying to do now to stop Josh Allen specifically, because now the target's on the Bills' back, especially on the offense's back. Teams are, uh, Sal Capaccio talked about this today on WGR. Teams want to make a, a defensive coordinators, defenses want to make a name for themselves as the team that slowed down and stopped the Buffalo Bills because that's how prolific of an offense they were in 2020. Stefan Diggs talked about this in the offseason. It's hard. It's easy to be the underdog. It's hard to be the team that everybody's giving you their best shot. And that's where the Bills are at right now. And they have to find a way to get over that hump. But I will say that second half, I think if you can slice the the season so far up into halves or quarters it was a bad one and a half uh or whatever it was a bad six quarters of, of the season for josh allen but those those second two quarters i felt better about maybe we can start to pile up a little bit of positivity on that half here in the next two weeks are going to be Obviously, there's a struggle against Washington because if the offensive line doesn't hold up, they can create a lot of problems. But I don't know that Washington's back half of their defense is something that concerns me. And then the Texans might be a nice confidence boost for you to sort of build up on. And there's some stretches here where Josh Allen and this offense are going to be able to feast. I think there's about an eight-week stretch towards the end of this season where I think the Bills are going to be heavily favored in those games and should easily have double-digit victories in some of these games. And, And I think when we look at the full picture of Josh Allen this year, it won't be as bad as it, it started here. And remember, last year we were talking, having these same conversations about the Bills' defense. You know, and I mean, everybody was worried. We were scrambling. We got to sign guys. We got to go make a big trade and get this defense back right. They figured it out around October, or so and the defense leveled off and then started to play really well. So I'm hoping this stays true for the offense and that by October, November, if the offense is still looking like this come Halloween, I'm going to be frantic along with everybody else. But if it starts to get a little bit better and takes baby steps towards towards an ascending offense, I think all will be right. Because we really just want to be – this is going to be a playoff team, in my opinion. I think we proved here this week that the division's very, very still much the Buffalo Bills division. And so I feel good about them being a playoff team. So they need to be really ascending and playing their best football in December because that's what matters is how good is this team heading into the playoffs. I want to be really clear too. I have 0.0% concern about Josh Allen. I just feel like he's not at a point right now where he's completely comfortable. The criticisms are I, fair. They are fair. And I'm not going to argue anyone that wants to say the, the regression crowd is out and about. and entire, I'm not going to fight with them because they have fair points right now. I'm going to sit back and wait for it to change. That's where I'm at. 
For the Bills to be an elite team this year, I don't think necessarily Josh Allen has to be quite as good as he was in 2020. And the reason I say that is because I think this Buffalo Bills defense, I don't think this is just a flash what we're seeing these first two weeks. I think this defense is improved from last year. And the run game's improved. The the run game's improved. I don't like the fact that the run game's improved, by the way. I want to throw the ball a lot. And if they're running good, you might get a little too conservative. I don't like that. But I love the pass rush. I love the depth. Like, I love Rousseau, and he didn't even play Sunday, but I like F.A. Obata. I like A.J. Epinesa. I like the pass rush. I think the defense is going to be better all year. Harrison Phillips didn't play, and he's still a good player. Yeah, he was he, he wasn't a, an injured player either. There's just not a spot. This team's too right deep now. on defense. That that's crazy. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I think this defense is is very legitimate. Now, of course, that's saying that Matt Milano doesn't suffer a significant injury, Trey White, because injuries quarterback are is very right. thin. Yes. Right, and you can say that for any team though. So right. obviously, health is the biggest concern. But if they stay healthy, I feel good enough about the defense that if the offense is 85 percent of what it was last year. Bills are going to be just fine. Oh, by the way, yo, we're so only two weeks into the season, and you look at the AFC. If we would have said two weeks ago, there's only going to be two teams in the entire conference that are undefeated after just two weeks, you would have said Buffalo and Kansas City, maybe, or maybe Baltimore, Baltimore, maybe, yeah, yeah, Cleveland, maybe Cleveland, yeah, uh, right, right, but you know, it, it's Denver and it's Vegas. Yeah, it, the early dude. I the first month of the season is hard for me when we're doing shows. I got to look at what the teams are, that we were playing have done. It's hard. Like I'll look at DVOA, but it doesn't matter to me. Like I, there's a bit of a curve to start the year where nothing's really true to what the season's going to look like. Teams start out yeah. hot all the time. Yeah, but it is weird that the two teams that are undefeated are teams that, again, I think they're going to be competing with Miami. I think they're fine teams, but they're going to be competing with Miami for the final wild card spots uh, come the end of the year. But good, good yeah. on them to. I bet their fan bases are excited. We've been there as drought level teams, starting out two and zero, and you're ahead of the Patriots going into week three, and you're telling all your Patriots friends like, "Ah, we're the number one team," and then by October, it's long gone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No panic time, but I, yeah, I just think it's funny. Denver and Vegas are the two undefeated teams. Last thing here. So, I mean, you hit on both teams. The Bills fans got robbed a little bit here the next couple of weeks because you got Washington and, and you got Houston coming to town and you, you could have had Fitzpatrick coming with Washington. Right. He's injured. And now Tyrod Taylor, who, by the way, has played sensational for six yeah. quarters, at least with Houston, he's out and yeah. he's probably going to be out at least a couple of weeks. So I feel like fans got robbed to, to see Fitz. Well, I mean, they've seen Fitzpatrick in an opposing. Yeah, but it's always good to see Fitz. Come back. It's always good to see Fitz. Bills fans love him. And Tyrod Taylor, one of those guys who I I, I still think polarizing he never got Bills the credit. Fans, yeah. yeah, and he never got the credit that he that he fully deserves. So that kind of sucks. But uh last thing to your point, these are two very, very, very winnable games. Games of Bills should win at yeah. home. Yeah. Um, I mean they're heavy favorites right now. I would no, I would not I would not go treating Washington even without Fitzpatrick like like I would treat Houston. Like Houston to me. There are a lot, a litany of things are going to have to go wrong to lose to Houston. Right, right. Washington does have the ability they got with that defense, defense that that pass rush to cause a lot of problems. Terry McLaurin's Antonio a problem. Gibson, McKissick, McLaurin, they got skilled guys on offense. They could do some damage. Logan Thomas, former Buffalo Bill. Hey, that so team with the backup quarterback almost beat the Super Bowl champion in the playoffs. Yeah, like yeah. They, they have a right. team that can win games. Right. So it's not a 
It's not a just show up and, and win type of game, but right. they should win. Yes. And I, it's very important I, to me because after that, you got road primetime games at Kansas City, at Tennessee, and then you hit the bye. You really want to be three and one going into those two no, games. For sure. There's no reason not to be. So this is going to be a pretty interesting time. Tennessee, for the though, uh, I'm not as scared about Tennessee as I was me neither. when the schedule came out. They're a very top, heavy, talented team. Like their skill players, their best players are as good as anybody. But, you know, Bills should be on that. If, if Josh Allen's going to get right in the next couple of weeks or if he hasn't gotten right, he'll have an opportunity against that defense in Tennessee. Yeah, I agree 100%, man. All right, that'll do it for this show. Make sure you follow my man, Aaron, at Aaron Quinn 716 Check out Cover One Buffalo Podcast. By the way, it's not just you and Greg, man. Eric Turner, Rob Quinn. I, I'm fans of a lot of people there. A lot of hey, you and Rob go way fans. back. Yeah, we do. And I got him on my show. I've never had him on the show. Oh, get him on. I'm, I'm going to. But as always, thank you for uh, for doing this. It's, we're kind of like in our pocket right now. Like you, you're too busy to be able to do this every week, obviously. But if I get you on every couple weeks and, and go through the team like this, this is the kind of Tuesday show, the Tuesday vibe that I really like. So thank you so much, brother. Happy to come on, man. I appreciate you having me, man. All right. I'll be back with another episode. You know, I don't know. I might have an episode midweek. Definitely, if not, Casual Friday, Joe Yurden. Talk to you soon.